0: Welcome to the Be Transformed Podcast. I am Adam Levecki, and I am here with DK Kim, and we are your hosts. Thank you for joining us. We are in this space to help you renew your mind and transform your life. We will be having helpful, honest, and hard conversations about culture and the kingdom of God. These conversations will help you to not be conformed to this current culture and will help you to grow in Christ. Jesus commanded us to preach the gospel and make disciples. This is an ongoing digital discipleship discussion. If you find this helpful, please subscribe, review, and share the Be Transformed podcast. Episode 11, Wisdom. So today we're with a dear friend. DK and I are are with the Reverend Mac Barnes, who we love. And if you could see him, he has what we call the eternal smile and he's always happy so we love uh, Mac and we love Mac even though he got us he got me into an earthquake and left me in, in there <laughs> and all that but we still love him and so I want to just for a moment or two kind of share our history so Mac was uh, a businessman successful businessman and he grew up in the same church that I grew up in and uh, him and Anne. And their kids uh, would always host barbecues and baptisms. And so we we just know these people as just loving, hospitable, generous, kind, beautiful Christians. And Mac had a ministry to, which we're going to touch on in a a, a little while, a prison. Where he would go uh, and minister in a prison every week. And so he had then a ministry to Haiti and uh, he was very successful in the marketplace. So we're going we're gonna to touch on and try to draw from some of the wisdom that he gained um, along this journey. But Mac, would you, would you just kind of, in addition to introducing yourself, would you let us know how you came into the kingdom, how you got saved?
1: Sure, Adam. When, uh, when I was young, we went to an Episcopal church. And uh, I don't think we went every week. Uh, but my mom, my dad never went, but my mom took, uh, us three kids and, um, I got confirmed when I was about 11 and, uh, and then I stopped going to church and I didn't really believe in God. I didn't not believe in God. I just, you know, never gave it a thought. And, uh, so what happened is, uh. Well, one time I was sitting in Penn Station, and two young people came around. I was sitting on one of those wooden benches waiting for a train. And the uh, this girl was probably 13, maybe 14. And she she came up to me and started talking about Jesus. And so I said to her, so what do you want me to do? And she looked at me like, well, I don't know. Uh, and then she said, pray. And so I stood up and I said the Lord's prayer out loud. And she looked at the boy that was with her and she goes, he's praying. <laughs> and after that, whenever I would get in a tough spot, like it, it was dangerous or, uh, you know, I was fearful or whatever, I, I would say the Lord's prayer. And then I'd say, okay, God, you and I are in this together now. And then, You know, I'd go on and do whatever I had to do. And uh, then uh, we'd been married for about five years. And my mom was a very slender lady, but she looked like she was pregnant. And we went to the hospital after she had surgery. And the surgeon told my brother and me and my wife that... He opened my mom up and he just couldn't. There was cancer everywhere. And you can't take out a person's insides. That's not an operation. So he had to sew her back up. And it would take a miracle for her to live more than six months. So on the inside, on the inside, I said, I guess I'm looking for a miracle. But I didn't know where to find a miracle. (laughs) And, of course, I never thought of looking in church. Uh, and i thought about the yellow pages but i never looked there either <coughs> anyway so we uh, we went to a yoga ashram and it was 4th of july weekend and all these big yogis were showing up from all over the u.s flying in and it was it was really a spiritual place it, like it was like leaving planet earth and uh, but i had made a I had bought a sailboat, and I promised to pick it up that Saturday. So Saturday morning, we had to go and get the sailboat back in Rumson, New Jersey. And I felt like, wow, I'm being pulled back to earth by this weight of a sailboat for an anchor. uh, But I met this friend of mine, Rick Tompkins, and he he and I had smoked pot together. He turned me on to LSD, and... We were just good buddies. We did everything for a few years together. But now we were older, I hadn't seen him for a long time. Uh, although I knew he'd gotten born again, but I didn't know what that was. So uh, he came to my house and, and left his Bible on the kitchen table for three days once. So uh, he goes, Mac, I'm gonna go see a prophet in the fall. And I go, can I come? So Ann and I, Drove to Richmond, Virginia to meet Rick and his wife. And that was during the energy crisis. I mean, we had to wait in line for blocks to get gasoline. So this was like in the 70s. It was was 1977, September. And uh, so when we get there, uh, Rick and Dale take us to this meeting, and it's in a park, and the auditorium is... uh, In the park and I noticed people were carrying Bibles when we got close to the door of the auditorium and I thought what have I got myself into and it was a Ken Copeland evangelistic crusade and Ken Copeland's preaching and he in the middle of his message he puts his hands on his stomach and then he says I don't know why I said that somebody in here needed it and boom I got hit by the Holy Ghost and I knew that my mom had been healed of cancer back in Ronson, wow. New Jersey. It's so crazy. Wow. And after that, every time he made a point, this voice in my chest went off saying, that's right. <laughs> so he'd make a point and I'd hear, that's right, on the inside. <laughs> and so, I, I, you know, Ann and I went forward for salvation and, uh, and the cancer all came together in a ball. And another surgeon took it out. And uh, so my mom, my mom. Do you have any explanation for that? It was a miracle. That's what the doctor said, too. (laughs) Oh, I don't know, because it was two different doctors. Mm. So uh, and then uh, my my mom, she didn't really have a long life after that. She she uh, what's the right word. Chemotherapy was really tough. And uh, yeah. she had to do chemo. so, And she begged and begged the surgeon. So he told her you didn't have to do it. But anyway, so uh, then she got shingles. But she did live longer than three, uh, six months. She lived about three years. Wow. And uh, we hadn't been able to have kids uh, for five years. We've been trying to have children. Wow. And uh, Remy was born the September after we got born again. Wow. And then uh, I knew about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, but I had never spoken in tongues. So I figured Christmas, oh, that's the gift of God. I'm going to speak in tongues at Christmas. So uh, it didn't happen. So then Easter, I'm sure I'm going to speak in tongues at Easter. No. And then Pentecost, no way. There's no way. We're not getting through Pentecost without speaking in tongues well we did (laughs) anyway so we went to Niagara Falls to see Ken Copeland again and we were with Rick and Dale and uh, we had the afternoon off and we went to the river and Rick's pastor was baptizing two people so I said can I get baptized so I got baptized also and when I came out of the water I heard two syllables and I go what was that that was tongues Yay! (laughs) So that's when I started to speak Speaking in tongues. In tongues. And, uh, that's excellent. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's how uh, Ann and I got born again, together.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. There, there's something that I'm going to jump ahead to and then we'll, we'll come back to it later. But there's people that God ordains to be instrumental in our life. And uh, this this... This, your story is interesting because I, I want to draw from your story so people can also start to recognize things that God is doing in their own life. God used Kenneth Copeland you know, to call out a word of knowledge for healing and extended your mom's life. And then you came into the kingdom through that. And I know later on in life, he helped you in your ministry. He gave you books for Haiti. And I'm bringing this up for the purpose that there are people that God ordains to be in your life, to contribute to your life, and it's part of their calling. And when you know that, it's really important. Like, it's really critical that you cherish the people that God has brought into your life because he brought those people into your life to add to you to invest in you to encourage you and to bring you forward in faith and i and i think that that's really important to recognize and so um so now you're saved you're in business and um tell us when you you felt a call to start to just minister to people in prison like how did that happen because that's a pretty radical commitment well
1: One of the first things I noticed, uh, and you just reminded me, was I used to get fired from really good jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Jobs where you had to go to university, wear a suit and tie to work and everything. And I got fired from three of those. And the gaps in my employment history were getting bigger and bigger. And uh, when I got born again, I I never got fired again. And uh, so... (laughs) We lived in New York City for six years, and then we moved to uh, Staten Island. When we got to Staten Island, uh, we visited a big church. I mean, we went to a little church, and uh, they had a home meeting in Staten Island. So uh, we visited a big church, and, and somebody was going to Arthur Kill Correctional Facility. And so I felt like saying, well, can I go with you? So I went with these uh, two guys, and we would have services every Thursday. And then uh, after a few years, uh, I met another uh, minister, and uh, he went on Sunday. And and as soon as I met him, he goes, so come with me. So I, I, I told the two guys I was going with that I was going to go on Sunday. And then uh, after about three weeks, (laughs) that guy goes, well, I'm leaving it to you, Mac. (laughs) So the Sunday service became mine. Wow. And uh, so I went to Arthur Kill Correctional Facility for 13 years every Sunday night from, uh, let's see, I guess 94 to uh, 2000. Uh, It must have been uh, earlier than 94, but... uh, Yeah, it was... uh, More than 10 years. It was was 13 or 14 years. Every week. Every week. See, I just wanted to stop.
0: That is beautiful. Jesus said this, what you have done to the least of these, you've done to me. And Jesus, who is innocent, identifies himself with a prisoner. Mm -hmm. And so... Mac now, for 13 years, every week is ministering to Jesus and to the heart of God and caring for the neglected. And God now in this is building something in him. And I want I want I want to say that because everyone. In, in life, and in ministry, everything now is fast. I got to get rich fast. You're not going to be innocent. I got to, you know, lose weight fast. You're going to, they're going to rip your stomach out. And, you know, that's not a good idea. Everything they want is fast. This is the, but the kingdom is slower. It's like God has them on the slow sizzle. 13 years and he's ministering to God's heart in consistency. And what's powerful about the story is that he inherits it. That's also part of kingdom truth, that he inherited something that he didn't deserve, he didn't earn, and in his mind, he may not even have thought he was ready for. And then God used that commitment to help build him into the man that he was making him so that later he could enter into something bigger, which we're going to get into in a minute, but I just, I just for me this is really important because you're, you're, you have to hear that this is there's consistency, and there's things that God only will do in your life through commitment, through consistency, when you continue to do something that isn't convenient, when you're doing something where maybe there's no payout for you in that sense, like, you know, I don't think He was like. You know getting rich, ministering in a prison, um, but yet in the spirit, he was, yeah. Actually, yeah, it's interesting how, in the natural, you look at it and go, Oh, there's nothing in it for me. But Jesus said, What you have done to them, you've done to me. And when you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord. So he may not have interpreted it in that moment, but in the spirit, that commitment was making him wealthy, yeah. Actually, yeah. yeah, Matt. Can
2: you t- talk a little bit about like what are some things you received from that ministry in the prison that were
1: setting you up for what God had for you after that? Well, it was I just remembered the dates. It was 1984 to 1997, and um, after a couple of years, uh, this friend of mine had been telling me that I should go to Brother DGS Dinokran's Institute of Evangelism, and and he goes, you're going to get all nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I go, all nine gifts of the Holy Spirit wouldn't do much for me. I just sit in the back in church. And, uh, but after I've been going to prison ministry for a couple of years, I said, you know, maybe I could use some training. I don't have anything for these guys that come to the meeting. So uh, I said, you know, let me uh, let me consider this. And Ann and I went to uh, a meeting where Brother D.G.S. Dinekren was speaking in Queens, New York. And when we approached the church and we're walking up the sidewalk, the Holy Spirit says, you're going to go to his Institute of Evangelism. And I go, well, that's great. I guess he'll have to accept me then. Because <laughs> he had to write a letter and, and get accepted. And, and he did. And I went there. And I operated all nine gifts to the Holy Spirit. In my notebook, I wrote down everything that happened, and that included all nine <laughs> gifts to the Holy Spirit. Excellent. Wow. And, uh, you know, I thought uh, that I had arrived, actually. But what I realized later was it was His anointing yeah. that I was operating under. And when I was operating on my own... I had to earn the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit on my own. But at least I'd tasted them. At least I'd experienced them. Yeah. So, uh, Brother DGS Dinakran was the world's largest evangelist. Uh, he's in India, and uh, his meetings were attended by 500,000, 750,000 people for a single service. And, uh, wow. So uh, he had... Didn't he
0: have like 10,000 evangelists working for him?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so he's, it's pretty aggressive. He, he's got like 108 prayer towers. And uh, yep. his son is running the ministry now. He passed away in 2008, I think it was. And uh, so that helped... Uh, but I kept going to prison ministry, and then I retired. And when I retired, uh, this this fellow evangelist from Brother Steve D- Lovell, Steve Lovell from Brother DGS Dinekran's School of Evangelism, used to call me and say, "Mac, I'm going to have a crusade in Haiti. Do you want to come?" And I go, "I'm going to work." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and then one day Steve called, and I'd retired, and I said, "Sure, I'll come." So Steve and I went to Haiti, and we met Pastor Eddie Francois, a Haitian evangelist. And the three of us decided after our first crusade that we're going to do a second crusade. Mm. And then after a while, we started having six crusades a year. So we had uh, six crusades a year in Haiti for 13 years. And each Mm. crusade was eight days long, Sunday night to Sunday night. And uh, so... What, what went on in a crusade? Like, what were some of the things? <laughs> well, we'd start off with uh, praise and worship. And Pastor Eddie was a great musician, so he had a wonderful praise band. And uh, then uh, there would be sometimes a special number by some churches in the area. And uh, the pastors would all be sitting on the stage normally. And... Uh, and then what would happen, uh, somebody would preach. I would preach, or Steve would preach, or Pastor Eddie would preach, and and we'd do an altar call. And then there would be prayer for healing. And uh, people would get healed, and there would be a lot of miracles. And later, people started to get delivered. And so people would... Uh, Manifest the devil. I mean, like, lying down, rolling, kicking, screaming, ah! yelling. <laughs> and, and like, they'd get picked up by, like, four ushers <laughs> yes. and carried yeah. to the roped-off area at the front of the stage. Yep. So you'd look down from the stage, and you'd see, like, 18, 25 people rolling, rolling around, around, growling, <laughs> kicking, <laughs> screaming. Yeah. And, and, and Christians... Going, come out in the name of Jesus. Salty, salty. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that that was later. Uh, it didn't start that way. It nope. started with uh, praise and worship, and then a message, and an altar call, and then prayer for healing.
0: Yeah, I just want to. It started with a yes.
1: <laughs> I just
0: want to encourage people with that because what you're listening to, you're listening to someone who said yes. Um, maybe the yes wasn't immediate, but once once he had, you know, the Lord had a yes from him. Now the Lord is bringing the mission forward. And I can say, as, as we get into it, I'm going to share that some of the most unforgettable experiences that I've ever had have been in Haiti. There's been a few of them that have marked my life. They were like high water marks in my life in ministry and, and things that I'll never forget. Um, and so I just I just want to encourage the listeners that whatever God wants to do in your life, your yes allows that to happen. Your your yes makes the impossible possible. And it's very important that you respond to the Lord, even though maybe you don't know what it's going to look like, or uh, how how it's going to happen, or how you're going to maybe pay for it or who's going to help you with it. But your yes opens the door for the more that the Lord has for you. And I just really want to encourage you to really give the Lord your yes and let him bring you forward in faith because the Lord will align you with the things that you need to fulfill the plan that he has for you. But it really starts with a radical yes and a commitment that we're going to, we're going to do this thing. And it's interesting because both, both things that you have uh, you you've done is thirteen years each, so that's twenty six years of of service to the Lord, and um, you know what we learned from Pastor Jay is that only what you do for Jesus counts for eternity, and and that's something that you know will never be taken from you, your service to the Lord and to the kingdom, and so that that's amazing. So, what um. Along this journey, you know what? What are some of the things that you learned from partnering with the Lord and and doing open air crusades in in Haiti? Because I, I want to say this: that hundreds of thousands of people heard the gospel all over Haiti, and so that that's amazing.
1: Well, in the beginning, I wasn't having good success when I pray for people that they would get healed and uh, one of the things that really changed was uh, Adam got born again and uh, his dad goes hey Mac Barnes is going to Haiti yep. you should go with him yeah and so Adam came with me to Haiti and I think we had a crusade in Troutier and uh, Adam was I was preaching and then I was I was thinking, I should ask Adam if he has anything to share. So I said, Adam, you have anything to share? And Adam began to share words of knowledge for healing. And people would respond getting healed. And so then we would bring them up on the stage, and they'd give their testimony. And we did that for the rest of the night. I mean, until we had to close down. It was like after 11 o'clock.
0: We had to shut down the testimonies.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, we just, uh, Adam got so many people healed that we didn't do anything else for the whole night. And when I got off the stage, I said to Adam, Adam, I want what you've got. And he goes, Randy Clark healing school. Yeah. And to me, that was a life
0: changing experience in the sense of like, for me, like I, I just believe the Lord, he heals and he commanded us to be supernatural. And I grew up in a church where we saw that. So when I came into the kingdom, I had nothing obstructing me from believing that. So to me, I expected that. Not, not because of, of me, because of him, by his stripes. So, so I, had, I, had, I had a theology for that and a belief, and I grew up seeing it. I mean, one of the things we grew up seeing, our pastor that, that we grew up in the church, he was a worship leader for Shambach. So anyone who's old knows who that is. R.W. Schambach was one of the only guys from the Healing and Ladder Rain movement that actually finished well with no scandals. So I remember I was about 10 years old and I see a guy who we've known our whole life pop out of a wheelchair and start running around the church. I'm a kid, I'm 10 years old. This is an informative thing that happens that you're like, wow, this shaped how you see. So when I came back to Christ, I had nothing obstructing me except me, right? I just didn't want to stop sinning. But I, I knew Jesus was real. I knew the gospel was real. I knew the power of God is real. We experienced God's provision as as kids. We we seen all this. So we believed it. So once I you know I connected with Randy and his school, it, it helped me, but it only put language to stuff I already expected and believed. And then I heard a really smart old white guy saying it. So I'm like, oh, this is really true. Like we know this is real. And so it really resonated and I was really touched by that movement like Randy, heidi bill like those are people that i look up to and i looked up to and and they they were informative and my spiritual father ran with those guys um and so so i really steve stewart impact nation so it really was really helpful so then i had already a love for the dominican republic i grew up with dominicans i had already started going to the dominican republic haiti was the last thing on my mind but my dad is like hey buddy you gotta go with mac and my dad, every once in a while, like he'll say something, like it'll be out of the blue. And it'll be like God talking with like a New Jersey accent. He'll be like, Hey buddy, you gotta go with Mac. And I'm like, I don't want I don't even know. Like I don't I don't know Mac. I don't know Haiti. I'm not really and man, I just listened to my dad. I just felt like he's he's what he's saying is true. And that really helped what God was already doing with Mac. It encouraged him. But really that night was really informative for me because I saw people pushing each other in line to get prayed for. Like the type of crazy, raw hunger and faith. I had already been around the world. I'd never seen anything like that. And we had to shut the meeting down because of the testimonies. There was one where I had my eyes closed and a tumor disappeared. And I was like, why did I close my eyes? What was I doing? Like, why? And so there were so many things, but that night, like, marked me. And it was the beginning of God doing something in my heart for Haiti. Now, one of my best friends uh, who I work with and minister with and with Max Help and our, our ministry supporters, we were able to build a basketball court there. We just dug a well. We're like halfway into completing like a three-phase project of a well a water filtration system through solar so that you know it can be affordable um profitable and uh, accessible to people so so like the stuff that we've done there as a result but none of that would have happened if mac didn't say yes and my dad didn't say you need to do that and so i just i just know that that was something that was really transformative in my life and i appreciate mac's you know, yes to the Lord. And I appreciate also the labor, you know, of Pastor Eddie and their team and, and the things that they did because when God sets something up, it's really, it's really special because there's everyone who's a part of what God is doing brings a unique something unique to the table that everyone else doesn't possess. So to say that we're really better together is not like a cheap political slogan for like Hillary Clinton. It's really true. Like we are literally better together. Like even, even like one of the things that you would notice for the crusades is before the crusades would really start, they would be screaming and yelling and praying. And, and, and they would be like interceding, like, and it's like, it sounded like they had the devil, you know, tied up to a chair and they were like torturing him. I mean, because they were like, aggressively, and this is aggressive faith, and they're praying and praying and praying, and they're breaking into something. And then worship starts, and that's, and and then Pastor Eddie would get up and do something, and it, it would just, like everything would be contributing toward this move of God, salvation, healing, deliverance, people getting free. And it marked me, like I, like, there's times where it's the most alive I've ever felt. Like being, In that environment it's like really something comes awaken you so as we get as we get to wrapping this up i'm gonna share the last crusade because that was that was something that i will never forget in my whole life but anyway so what are some of the things rev that you learned in giving the lord your yes in this process like what are some things that you learned just with your yes
1: well you know, when I started out in work, I was a beginner. You know, I did what people told me to do. And later, you know, by the time I retired, I was leading groups of 20, 40, 50 people, founding groups. And, uh, and the same thing was happening in ministry. Uh, you know, I started out as, as just, you know, somebody who was following along and I brought out my guitar, and we would sing songs. But you know, later I would be leading the ministry, and then uh, in Haiti, you know, I would be the guy on the platform preaching the message. Uh, but we are better together because it was Steve and Eddie and I, and it was Adam and Eddie and uh, me, and and then there were uh, preachers from Nigeria that would come. Yep. And uh, we, had, we had great times of fellowship, but we had great times of ministry uh, together. And uh, yep. there were also Haitian translators all the time who would yeah. translate our English into the local language. Yeah. So uh, we learned to, to work together for God. And that's one thing, which is we are a lot better together. Yeah. And uh, Adam used to come every year. Probably in yep. May, I think. And uh, we we just had great crusades when Adam came.
0: Yeah, I, I always loved um, being there and one of the things I've always tried to communicate to Americans is that the scripture says that the poor are rich in faith. So then you ask yourself, Who's really poor? you know, like it's like <laughs> I'm poor with stuff, like and then there's poor who are rich. So it's like <laughs> so anyway. You know, so it's like you're not bringing Jesus to the poor; he's already there. But you're acknowledging him, honoring him, and preaching the gospel. And so there is a manifestation of the King in his kingdom. And so when you preach the kingdom, it creates space for the King to land. And um, so that was always really encouraging. And you know, during these these times, you know, you're preparing your heart; you're getting ready. And I remember there was there was a there was a time where I was preparing to come uh, to preach, and I was reading this book, uh, A Theophany of Jesus by Leonard Sweet and Frank Viola. And as I'm reading this book, the whole book is about Jesus, like three or four hundred pages, but it's just about Jesus, his ministry, miracles, his identity, everything. So I'm reading this, and um, I get hit by the Holy Spirit like a truck. Boom. And it's like what God is saying to me is not even really in the book. It's like it was just interesting, you know. And but the the download that I got was basically this that when you preach Jesus it is my this is the Father speaking. It is my great passion to put him on display. Mm-hmm. and to do signs and wonders to testify of him, not of you, not of your ministry, not of your crusade of him. <laughs> so that that was a, that was a, that, that brought a change mm-hmm. to my life in the sense of like okay, it's my job to prepare my heart, it's my job to preach, it's my job to bring the word yeah, yeah yeah, all that for sure but it's the father's passion to put his son on display mm. and that, that, that brought my level of expectation to a whole nother level because I'm not operating in my faith. I'm operating in his faith. Yeah. So that's different. That's a whole, a whole difference. So that was something that really changed my level of expectation because now my expectation was lifted out of my faith for healing. And now my faith is in the father's passion to display his son. And, you know, as a father, you have kids, especially when they're young. This is more, I think it happens more when they're young, maybe even they're old, but I don't, we haven't got there yet. So when they do something great or funny or crazy or really stupid, you love to talk about it. You're like, this was so amazing, you know, that they, you know, did this. And it's just like the Father is looking at Jesus, like he's so amazing, like, let me show you what he's like, and so that was that was really that was really in, in important for, for my life too. And I'm saying this to say that as you say yes to the Lord, the Lord prepares you, and there's also a transformation in your own life, so that you're ready to fulfill the assignment. So, the Lord is preparing Mac in the prison. The Lord is preparing him. In the marketplace the lord is using all of those things that he is being faithful in to prepare him for an apostolic mission and so that that is just something that i want our listeners to really lay hold of like what is god asking you to be faithful in that's preparing you for the future plans that he has for you because sometimes you don't really see the value in what you're doing you feel like there's no attention there's no there's no monetary gain in it. We're not, you know, on on Christian TV. The, the, what am I doing? But yet the Lord has asked you to be faithful in little that he can entrust you with much. And so I just I just want to encourage you, like, for your listening, no matter where you find yourself, just ask yourself, what is the assignment that the Lord has for you now? And how can you be faithful in that? Because through that assignment, that's how you're going to grow. And that's how you're going to get prepared for the future that God has for you. And so um, is there anything else, Mac, that sticks out in your mind um, from that time? I have something, but I want to open it up to you.
1: Well, uh, let me share what my grandson, who's two and a half, said to my wife and I about a week ago. He, he goes, hey, Mammy Bunny. And she sits down next to him and he goes, can I buy you lunch? <laughs> <laughs> so wow. she says, well, what do you want to buy me? And he goes, how about pizza? <laughs> <laughs> so we went and had pizza. Anyway, I have no idea where he got that idea. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, thing that I learned in Haiti, which started in 2009 we i got there in 2005 and nothing really supernatural happened until 2009 Wow! and uh i don't mean people weren't getting healed i'm talking about a different kind of supernatural so i had ordered scaffolding that put the speakers three stories tall and uh i showed up a week early to rig the speakers. And when I got there, I found out the speakers were delayed. They weren't going to be there. And I go, so what am I going to do with an extra week in Haiti Mm -hmm. and no speakers to rig? But there were four girls at Pastor Eddie's house, Mm -hmm. and they seemed to have demons all the time. So we prayed, cast out demons. And when the crusade started, I said, man, Like, the demons at the crusade are going to be nothing compared to what we've been doing all week. And they weren't. Uh, In fact, one night I preached and and 18 people fell down in front of me, rolling around. But uh, we learned so much about casting out devils uh, from uh, like 2009 to 2018. We had demons manifesting all the time. And uh, it, was, it was really uh, quite unusual. And it, it even corrected some of the books I've read in this country. <laughs> so, uh, for instance, Pastor Eddie uh, had these, these four girls. And uh, one time I was in Haiti, and I had uh, three people with me. From Love of Jesus Family Church, and we were getting out of the car, and there was a rah rah parade in the street. And I said, "Oh, that's a rah rah parade." And everybody goes, "What's a rah rah parade?" Anyway, it's it's when a bunch of voodoo worshipers go down the street with drums and and harmonicas and and uh, horns, like the what was that band in kindergarten? The uh, the kindergarten band or whatever. Anyway, you, like the teacher would play a record and we'd all go bang, bang. Oh, I remember doing something like that. Yeah, right. Anyway, that's about what a uh, rock parade sounds like. and And so we get inside and one of the girls is manifesting a demon. And the demon says out loud... What am I doing here? I was just going down the street with the rah-rah parade. And now I'm on this girl. And now I'm getting cast into the abyss. Because that's where Pastor Eddie would send all the demons. Mm. He would send them to the abyss in the name of Jesus. So uh, we, we learned that, uh, that, A, demons are, uh, the angels would arrest the demons and put them on these girls, the girls didn't have their own demons anymore. They just had demons that the angels would arrest and put on these girls. They would manifest the demons and then Pastoretti or his daughter or myself or Marlon, one of us would cast the demon into the abyss. Mm. And so we were cleansing Haiti of wow. demons that didn't belong to anybody we knew. They were from the National Palace, they were from the police department, they were from the rah-rah parade. Just anybody going by with demons, the demons would get arrested. And uh, in December, remember that earthquake that I left you in in yeah. January?
0: So let me, let me just <laughs> say one, a few things. So for people listening, they're like, this this is absolutely insane. And you don't have to believe it. I mean, it's an experience. And so we're not making a theology of it, but you hear people Christians are like, "Oh, Christians can't have demons." I'm like, "Have you ever been to church?" <laughs> so, so anyway, um, but so so there's a bunch of things that happened that were that were really crazy. But what Mac is referring to, I remember, Mac leaves right before the earthquake, and he leaves us in there, and so I, me, and everyone in Pastor Eddie's house survived, which is a miracle because every house in the neighborhood. Every single person is dead, except that house. Wow. I mean, that, that's. there was a man named Dufanel who was bilingual, a teacher, an educated man, a smart guy, sharp guy, young guy, and he had become demon-possessed. And when I say demon-possessed, I mean going to the bathroom on himself, biting people, not eating, you'd have to open his mouth and shove food down his throat. He would pee on himself, throw himself down cement stairs. I mean, he was like really demon possessed. And virtually everyone that came to Pastor Eddie's house eventually got free, except this guy. So what happened is he's under the rubble for hours and they pull him out with no scratches on him. In fact, the only one who had any real scratches was Ruth's foot. It was Eunice's foot. Excuse me, Eunice's foot. You're right, Eunice's foot. So that was Pastor Eddie's daughter's foot had a a big wound on it. But other than that, nobody was hurt, like at all. And um, so anyway, to make a long story short, this guy had been in rubble for hours and he was still demon possessed. And then about a week or two after the earthquake, they were praying for him and he came back into his right mind. And he was bilingual again. He was like university professor. Yeah. Yeah yeah, I mean this is this is not like you know so the, I'm saying that the type of things that happen there like Indians, you know, people from India are also familiar with deliverance and a lot of demonic stuff. They said this is next level. They have never seen anything like this. And I I don't make theology out of experiences, but I'm telling you some of the most wild and crazy things that I've ever seen happen. I've seen happen in Haiti. As it relates to an open heaven. Deliverance. The demonic. I mean things that you cannot explain. Like we, we, we were in a guy. Pastor Mentor's church. And we cast a devil out of it. Joseph was with me. We cast a devil out of this kid. He was under the water for 20 minutes. Wow. <laughs> it's like that doesn't, maybe seals can't do that. Like that doesn't, right, that's yeah. not real. And, and so the type of stuff that you, you hear, and, and here's the thing, cause sometimes this is happening through translation. So you have to ask the same question two or three times to frame it differently, to make sure is what I'm hearing real. And it's like, there's no logical way that you can explain what just happened, but what they said actually happened. And so it's like, um, like there was a girl, um, one of the girls from pastor
1: Eddie's, she jumped off of like a three story building and lived into the middle of a church service. <laughs> and, and the Whoa. people, and she landed on her feet and the people, I mean, she had been jumping up and down going, I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump. So everybody was like watching, you know? Yeah. And when she came down, people grabbed her so she wouldn't fall over, but she, and, and she landed on her foot. And uh, she, she was limping, and the doctor said her foot's broken, and he put a cast on it. And then, like three days later, Pastor Eddie hears this banging in the middle of the night, and, uh, and she breaks the cast off her foot. And so Pastor Eddie feels anointed to uh, put oil on his hands and rub her foot. And the demon left her foot, and she went to school Totally healed the next morning. <laughs> so, that, so that's
0: why. Here's another one. This is, cra- this is another one. So Eddie, Pastor Eddie, if you ever meet him, he is an unforgettable person. He's not only a person, he's an experience. And he's awesome. <laughs> and he's funny. So at one day he's filming these demon-possessed girls. And he has that, remember the little flip camera that you had? Right. He's, he, it looks like a gun. So he's got the gun out like, and he's filming this girl... And uh, the demon says in English stop filming me and cast us out Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's stuff that you can't you, you, you hear this and you like have these people lost their mind it's like no we're actually fine it's just that you hear stuff it's crazy like one time I'll give you another one one time because of the earthquake I had been in a local newspaper in Rutherford New Jersey okay Rutherford, is like a small newspaper. So I was in the newspaper, right? We're getting ready to cast out a demon, and they go, "We know you. You were in the newspaper." <laughs> so it's like I, I'm not gonna, you know, plan the rest of my life on these demons. But th- th- it's like there's things that are happening that you're like, "This is this is really crazy." Like here's another one. This is I don't know if I've told you this one. You were with us, my father. I think you were there. Or maybe you weren't. I don't know. Right after the earthquake, I brought my wife. You visited with your whole family. I was not there. You were not there. Okay. Yeah, so I was with my wife, my my brother, my father, and my mother. And we were staying in tents, like literally in tents, like with a mattress in a tent. So it was great. And so there's a boy, Caleb. Remember Caleb? Yeah. So Caleb was having a demonic fit, and he was trying to swallow rocks. Hmm. Okay, And so there's an, a man who was there to see Pastor Eddie because in poor places, pastors and bishops and people, they, they help people. So they're there for some reason to communicate with Pastor Eddie, some sort of need or problem. I mean, that's really why they're there, usually. So they're just standing around, kind of like their arms crossed, kind of like looking around. And this demon-possessed kid, Caleb, and now he's he's okay in his right mind, Uh but he slaps the guy in a demonic fit in the leg and says, get saved today or come to hell with me. Wow, crazy. I turned to the guy and I said this, today is the day of salvation. The guy drops down on his knees and gets born again right there. Amen. And it was like the devil... Such an idiot! Man. It's yeah. like the devil helped this guy come into the kingdom, and that's that's the scripture where it says that even demons are subject mm-hmm. to you in His name. Don't rejoice about that. Rejoice that that dude's name is written in heaven, you know. But but it's just like it's wild stuff. So just for those who are listening, it's like we're not trying to like make you believe anything, or we're not selling anything, or we're not even receiving an offering right now. I'm I'm just saying that the reality is. And Mac is sharing that some of the things that we experienced there were just crazy.
1: So before I started to say back in December before the earthquake in January. Yeah. So what happened in December was we were casting out more demons than we could believe. All the four girls and Caleb had demons and we were casting them out and, and the word came from one of the demons that there are so many demons waiting to be cast out that the angels are put hanging them on the wall outside this room, outside this house. There's demons hanging on the wall, queued up so that they can come on these girls and get cast into the abyss. And we just cast out demons. But what we realized is, after the earthquake, was that's why there was such a pressure to get all these demons cast out, because there was going to be an earthquake.
0: Interesting. Mm.
1: So uh, we, we learned a lot about casting out demons. Let me ask both of you guys this question while we're on the topic.
2: What is it about a place like Haiti, where things like this is quote-unquote normal, I think it's just as normal here, but maybe just not a scene here that causes so much disbelief here. When Haiti, it's like, yeah, it's, it's just accepted fact.
1: Well, in Haiti, voodoo worshipers worship the devil. Out, outright, outright worship the devil. And people who are not even Christians have gone there. I watched a documentary on TV and they said, this is amazing. The the people doing the documentary went to a voodoo temple, several voodoo temples, and watched people worshiping demons and getting possessed by demons. And then they went to Christian services and watched people casting out demons. And they said, not I, (laughs) the TV documentary said... It looks very similar when somebody's worshiping the devil and gets possessed by a demon as when somebody's in a Christian church and getting set free from a demon. The manifestations, the outward behavior is the same. And so uh, that's what it is. Yeah, And and that's not hard to believe
0: because the devil is an imitator. And when, when you think of, like, for example... The devil is always seeking to dehumanize people, fill them with shame, guilt, remorse, regret, pain. Depression. Depression, anxiety, fear, all that stuff. So when you see someone having a fit and acting up, it's really the enemy trying to steal dignity from them. And it's it's the direct opposite when Jesus brings healing and brings someone back into their right mind. He restores... Dignity. And one of the things that poverty steals, this is what many people don't understand poverty steals dignity. Um, Poverty is not just a lack of resources, it's a lack of opportunity. Steve Stewart, my spiritual father, taught me that opportunity unlocks potential. So when the kingdom comes, whether it's through a demon leaving, a sick person being healed, people getting educated when there was ignorance, people getting clean water, people getting a job opportunity to work and earn. Their dignity is restored. And so when you see someone who's demon possessed or who's lost their mind, it, it is a thief of dignity. Even even in, in our context, you know they take you to a psych ward they give you all these medicine, all this medicine. You're like a vegetable on a couch. You're unproductive. There's shame. There's no dignity. There's depression. So whether the demons went to college and got a you know a degree and now they can prescribe drugs, or whether they're shaking in the dirt, you know, screaming to the devil, at the end of the day, the enemy is after the same thing, and that is to steal human dignity, because we bear the image of God, and that's the thing that he hates. And that's the thing that when healing in the kingdom comes, God restores his dignity and in in us as image bearers.
1: One time a demon manifested uh, at Pastor Eddie's. And at this time he was living in a wooden shack. Uh, it was after the earthquake. He was out of the tent, but he still didn't have a real house. He had this wooden house, you know, with uh, two by fours and wood on the outside. Uh and the demon said, uh, "Where am I?" And somebody said, "You're at Pastor Eddie's house." <laughs> and he goes, "This couldn't be Pastor Eddie's house. There's pictures of Pastor Eddie and the four girls all over Haiti. Pastor Eddie's a really big shot. He couldn't possibly live in this kind of place." And, <laughs> and somebody handed the demon-possessed girl a mirror. And, and when she looked in the mirror, the demon screamed, Ah, I'm in one of those girls! And the mirror got broken and the demon got cast into the abyss. Anyway, <laughs> so I don't know how demons have billboards all over Haiti with Pastor Eddie and these four girls' pictures on them, but they seem to. Yeah, In the spirit, they know. You see that with the Sons of Sceva.
0: In, in the book of Acts, there's a story where the sons of Sceva... Seven sons yeah, of Sceva. Seven sons of Sceva. They're exorcists trying to cast out demons. And uh, that didn't work. They got stripped and they got beaten. beaten. Again, the enemy is after human dignity. Um, So they go, Jesus, we know. Paul, we know. Who are you? <laughs> so in the spiritual world, the spiritual world knows... Who you are and who you're not. <laughs> so, so that's 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 why as Christians it's really critical that we align ourselves with Jesus's name and his teachings and his life,
1: so that we have authority. One thing that I did was I went to get personal deliverance about three times, <laughs> and uh, and that really helped me because I figured you know if I got problems demons. Uh, weaknesses in my own life what am I going to do when I'm up against somebody who's demon possessed and how am I going to cast that demon out if there's demons on the inside of me so I got rid of some of my baggage and that felt better many ways but it also helped a lot in helping other people
0: mm. Yep. You. you we got to get free ourselves yeah.
1: and when you're free
0: you're an agent of freedom
2: and life is much better
0: yeah. Amen.
1: Who needs the devil as a roommate? It's like an unpaying roommate. You know, he doesn't pay anything. He just... Well, you know what happens now when I when I remember something that I didn't repent of, I go, Lord, I never repented of that specifically. I'm repentant of it now. Uh, Adam, do you remember that day that I met you in the park? Yep. So, I had gotten this. Uh, Quite a list you had. I had gotten this idea that I wanted to repent specifically, individually, of every sin that I'd committed. And I wrote them out on a piece of paper, both sides. There were about 70 things on there. And so I I said, what I'll do is I'll, I'll meet Adam in the park and we can walk around and pray. And uh, I remember that. so I met Adam and, and about about halfway through the second page, Adam goes, Mac, this stuff's really heavy. <laughs> and I go, yeah. Anyway, so I, I confessed all my old girlfriends. I, I repented of all my sins. But even now, I'll still remember sometimes something that was what's the right word? Slipped by the radar. It it wasn't on that list. Like I remember uh, cursing and my mom uh, washing my mouth out with soap, you know, and of course I didn't have a good feeling about that. Well, I repented of that, (laughs) repented of that, you know, and and so when these things come to my mind, I just go, Lord, I repent of that now in the name of Yeshua, in the name of Jesus. I uh, ask to be forgiven and I forgive that person and it's gone. Yeah, and so there's gradual cleansing too. Yeah, there's big cleansing that you may need help with somebody else, and then there's just yeah. every day when you have these thoughts, you let go of them. That's yeah. I mean,
2: I really encourage this to everyone and anyone. You know, I remember before I, uh, I came to Jesus, I used to have things I'd done in my life where I'm like, "That's going to the grave with me," thinking that's the safe thing to do. But that stuff just becomes baggage. It just becomes weight. It just And it's not even the sin that has the power, but I think the secrecy is what has the darkness. So I think just bringing that to light, the light breaks it in confession. I, I just, I think everyone needs to go through
0: this in their life. Yeah, it's a way. So when you, so when I confess my sin to God, I'm forgiven. When I have the courage to confess it to someone like with skin on, right, it removes the shame. Shame is the thing that steals your confidence, So you need need to be able to have, because the Bible says that in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. So in the fear of the Lord, my confidence is not in me, it's in Him. But if I'm hiding something from Him, I cannot have confidence in someone I'm hiding things from. So it's really important to confess it to the Lord. And if you feel like a lingering weight with that, it may be something you need to confess confess to someone who's trusted. And I always tell people this that in the kingdom crap goes uphill. Like you have to be able to take your your like in the, in, the, in, the, in the in the in the in the you know, in the world, you go to the bathroom, it goes down the drain, down out to the street. So there's pitch. But in the kingdom, you got to take junk the other way to wise people. Uh they don't necessarily have to be older, but they have to be wise and they have to be able to to keep what is being said confidential, right? Yeah. Mac is talking about this. I'm not saying, hey, Mac called me and confessed his sin. Here's his sins. That's something that he wanted to talk about, right? So there's a level of trust there that is important. So you, you need to trust the, the person, and they have to be a safe person that's not going to use that stuff against you to manipulate you. Because yeah. some people take their their baggage to the wrong place and get more baggage mm-hmm. instead of get freedom Yeah. so I really want to encourage that because and also to be honest like it takes humility I'm like this young guy Mac is like this older guy wise right he doesn't need to do that but in humility there's breakthrough in humility there's freedom so there, there's something there that I think that the listeners need to lay hold of that because you may be holding stuff in and it's actually holding you back Yeah, and to add to
2: that, when you confess to someone that you trust that's safe, you experience God's grace manifested through that person. And that's that's really powerful when when it's met with grace and and mercy and forgiveness. And and I think that's what God's uh,
0: presence is manifested through. Yeah, and the heart of God is for freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. So the heart of God, whether you're talking about casting out demons or confessing your sin or maybe getting out of debt or whatever it is, the heart of God is, is for free, is that we will be free. Because if you're not free, it's really hard to be an ambassador of a culture that is marked by freedom if you're not free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. So we're, we're like ambassadors of freedom, but bound up and broken down. That's, that's like... You know, trying to sell a new car with a cracked windshield. Like, that's not the perspective that we want to give to people.
1: Well, another reason I went to you was I knew that you could break the power of the devil. So as I confessed each sin, Adam would break, break the power it. of the devil yep. and break the power of that sin in my life. Yeah. So I, everything on that list, I came clean that day. And
0: I, I appreciate that level of trust. And, you know, I went to inner healing like a zillion times too. Cause I was jacked up because, you know, I'm like, I did a all. Coram Deo, the Toronto version, this version, every version. I Because, you know, what I did when I was young is I did iniquity. That's something that people don't understand. When you're a sinner and you don't know better, it's sin. When you know better, it's iniquity. So sin is like, oh, I missed the mark. Iniquity is like, oh, I I wanted to miss the mark. I plan on missing the mark. I like missing the mark. Mm, And I want you to miss the mark with me because I'm evil. I mean, so when the Lord showed mercy to me, I was like, wow. And I prayed a prayer. It's really crazy prayer. It's not a feelings prayer. It's a prayer of faith. My, My prayer was like, Lord, anytime someone does or says anything against me, don't ever remember it when they stand before you. Because you've forgiven me of iniquity. I don't want to live with that. So even if I don't feel like forgiving them, I already forgiven them. I don't care. I don't want to be held against them because the Lord has forgiven me. And I just think that living with that posture is part of the keys to walking in freedom and, and staying free. You know, Mac, Mac shared with you not only how to get free, but as God brings things up in our life, how to stay free. Thanks, Matt. Adam Lavecki here. On behalf of DK, Kim, and I, we want to thank you for listening to the Be Transformed podcast. If you have found this helpful, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. Thanks again for listening to Be Transformed.